0: Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com you got into business to pursue your passion, not to worry about insurance. But the reality is every business faces risks and you need to make sure that your business is protected. Insurance doesn't have to be complicated and learning some basic risk mitigation principles like how to develop a business continuity plan can go a long way. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools. Visit sovereigninsurance.ca
1: to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC,
0: take on the world. This podcast is brought to you by the new Scotiabank Passport Visa Infinite Business Card. Your business is going places, and so are you. Apply now and earn up to $500 in bonus rewards. For details, visit scotiabank.com slash business. Conditions apply.
2: You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of Core Space, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit KAUR.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have Gloria Roheim mcrae on The Thrive Podcast today. Gloria is a senior manager of solutions consultants at Hootsuite by Day, where she is leading enterprise-level solutions for the financial service sector across North America, Gloria is also a TEDx keynote speaker, as well as the author of BYOB, The Unapologetic Guide to Being Your Own Boss, an Amazon.ca bestseller all about self-sufficiency and doing work that you love. In her entrepreneurial career, Gloria co-founded and grew two businesses and learned through highs and lows about the unique challenges women face in business. Today, she's building her third business with her husband by night, a financial brokerage that she couldn't be more proud of. Welcome to the show, Gloria. Thanks for having me. I am really excited about our conversation today. The little bit that we got to dive into right off the top that we unfortunately weren't recording for um, got <laughs> it, it was just super wonderful. There's going to be so many topics that we dive into today including entrepreneurship alongside being a new mom and an entrepreneur. So, let's just get into it. Let's do it. <laughs> So my first question for you actually is going to just be, tell me how you got here. What motivated Mm -hmm. you to enter entrepreneurship in the first place? Let's hear that story.
1: Awesome. So I'm sure that there's a number of your listeners who have seen Dream Girl and, uh, you know, the documentary that you're such a profound part of, uh, among other amazing women. And so it's incredible that the storyline even for that, that young woman who's got ambition, who's ready to kickstart her career, who already at the outset can see that there are maybe not the same level of opportunities or the same type of environments that she thought she was going to work in. That was my story myself. And so while I studied hard and as a typical good, proud immigrant, uh, product of immigrants from Hungary, I went to university for the first lineage of my family to do that. I worked full time when I went there. And when I left university, I didn't even know entrepreneurship was an option. I didn't even know the word. I don't think I thought about it. And so this is interesting because so much of what is in who I am and my story is this entrepreneurial spirit that I think comes from my entrepreneurial family. But because they came from communist Hungary, where entrepreneurship was not an option, it wasn't even a conversation piece at our dinner table. So when I left, I brought that spirit that I didn't quite call entrepreneurial to anything that I did. I worked uh, for a little bit in the Ministry of Finance as a policy advisor. I stuck my toe in market research consulting and had a number of really cool opportunities, including some socially impactful work overseas in Eastern Europe, uh, within Kosovo, Montenegro, and Hungary. But it wasn't long before I felt the angst of wanting to do more, something even more purposeful that I could actually guide in a certain way. And uh, I did feel restricted. That's the honest truth. I felt restricted by other people's ideas of how fast I could rise, um, other common notions of where I should be at a certain age in my career. And so by the time I had job number 10 and... um, probably around 24 years old, I decided that there was no better time than now at the end of a relationship at the time, having just sold the condo that I had gotten into at the time and renting with a lot more freedom again, that I would go headfirst into entrepreneurship. And so that was around uh, 10 years ago and um, and around the same time as I met my husband, which will inevitably be part of this conversation because he became my business partner very quickly. And uh, I guess the rest is history because 10 years since, there's been two businesses, a third in the works right now, and a lot of incredible peaks and valleys, and lows and highs.
2: Absolutely. So I'd love to hear a little bit about those first two companies. Uh, What were they doing? How did you get involved in them? Or, Or what inspired you to create those first two companies?
1: Perfect. So the first company was, I think, a sensible place for me to have started. Again, it was 2010. The good news was I happened to have been, without knowing it, really early to social media, back in even 2000 six, uh, I think being at university at the time when Facebook at the time was only available to university students, I was right on there. And shortly thereafter, when LinkedIn launched, I jumped on there. And with all the different careers I had, one thing I just felt intuitively to do for whatever reason it was, was take business cards from all the relationships I was building professionally and connect with those people and invite them on LinkedIn. So the good thing that I didn't plan for, but that worked out really well in my favor, I would call it, I guess, a bit of luck and, um, an unexpected hustle was that the people in my LinkedIn network became my first customers and my very first email list before, of course, we have all these amazing, um, I guess, more mature laws and and ways of working now that it's been about 10 years since email marketing has really taken off. So I started as a sole proprietor. I took the skills that I had, the things that I love to do and the different career experiences I had. And I launched a service-based business. It was as simple as Gloria Roheim Inc. GloriaRoheim.com at that time. And it was me focusing on helping organizations and companies who used to be my clients at jobs I had with adapting to social. So at first it was a little bit of just social training and then quickly it started to evolve into social strategy. Then it spanned a little bit more digitally. And within three years of some amazing people, which are always your first few customers who referred me and who were really credible within institutions like the city of Toronto and the university spaces. I ended up expanding, expanding, excuse me, the contracts I had and needing more collaboration with people who focused on branding and design and other things like that to help these companies. So what was super beneficial to me was that my then boyfriend and soon fiance at the time was in my living room working alongside me on his own sole proprietorship. And it was clear to us that we had an opportunity to merge and to do more impactful work if we did more work together. Um, just jumping forward to two years from that point, so five years into the first business, we had just gotten married, and we had bid on a project that was uh, our first multiple six-figure type job over a certain span of time, and. It was obvious by that point from all of the winning, and the losing, the learning that we had done that when we came together and we worked together, and it wasn't just us solo, that we were more impactful both to customers and based on the work that we could do. So we formed Wedge 15, which was and still is um, our first child. We have since had a human one. But uh, nonetheless, that was what we, we focused on for a good six years together. Uh, again, doing amazing things both in the media both as speakers, and then as authors, and working with customers focused really on the not-for-profit social impact sector, as well as a lot of government and higher ed institutions. So that was, uh, that was the first foray before, I think, chapter five of my life turned when I became pregnant, and then a mom, and then uh, the rest is, uh, I think, a, to- a whole different section of my life, because that's when I think I hit the biggest growth opportunity and what led us to our business today.
2: So let's dive into that aspect of things then. Uh, before we dive into your experience with motherhood, I'd love to find out what led you guys into this financial sector now and what caught your, uh, or made this something that you were interested in alongside, you had mentioned earlier when we were talking before we went uh, live on on our mics, um, yeah. that- You are learning so many lessons around cash flow and balancing the books and all of these things now that you are in the financial sector that you wish you would have known before. So how did you get involved in this and what are some of the key lessons you have for our listeners based on what you've learned so far?
1: Thank you for asking that because it's um, even just cathartically, and I'm sure I'm not alone on this, the question I wish I would have thought about a little earlier on in this adventure, but let's just not have regrets. Let's say that we know when we know when it's the right time to know. Um, But what we went through was probably a very typical uh, cycle when, as I mentioned, we weren't coming to this with particular business acumen. We weren't coming to this, you know, really in love with the idea of building an enormously financially viable business. We were at the very outset when we first started, probably dreaming as big as we could, About the vision of the work we would do and the creative outlet and being able to generate a lifestyle and a business um, from that, but less thinking about how would we scale this? Would we scale this? Do we want to build an agency? How are we going to grow the revenue of this so that it actually sustains and potentially allows for us to hire our first employees instead of simply subcontracting project by project? These are questions I didn't expect to have, obviously, when I began and when my husband and I uh, kind of merged and created a company together, but they became more and more relevant as our project um, impacts were scaling or as our customers were asking for more things or longer term engagements. And, And then, of course, because we were thinking about starting a family. And so, you know, having months when we would have contracts that would be quite large and having other months where we had no revenue seemed like a sensible thing. And I don't know if it's still a trend now. I'd love your thoughts on this, perhaps. But um, whether today or otherwise, there was this there's this myth around, I would say, maybe a a legend around entrepreneurship, where you look at really influential people who I do love and I've learned a lot from, like Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, or you look at people like Simon Sinek, or you look at Marie Forleo or a lot of the folks that are influential within the solopreneur or entrepreneurial world that are inspiring. And almost none of them are talking about the bottom line. They're talking about hustle. They're talking about grit. They're talking about hard work. And so I think we had all those ingredients in droves, but there came a point sort of eight, seven years in where the exhaustion of constantly going after the next contract or being in the zone of creativity was becoming a burnout for for us. And so, you know, thinking back and looking back and tracking for the first time, really understanding by six years in what the books were all about and finally having enough one-on-one sessions with our accountant that I understood, you know, how to look at the financial health picture of our business. Um, I realized there were some missing links. And so for our own interest, this is what led to business number three. We started looking into financial services. We started looking at, um, we got a financial advisor for the first time, and started understanding there was a world we didn't, we weren't even exposed to. We didn't know, we didn't know about it. And so really quickly as we learned and as we bought our own products and we got our own protection and we started our own investments, um, even before starting in this sector uh, as our third business together, it became a passion. It became something that we wanted to share with absolutely everybody we worked with. We started thinking more about that than the work we were doing. Um, And then of course, With the birth of our son and thinking about our legacy even bigger than just our lifestyle and our passion for what we were doing for customers, we started becoming clear that whatever we did next and however we pivoted from this point forward in whatever business we would have, it would have to be sustainable and it would have to be able to leave a legacy because ultimately that's what we want. Not just a legacy of great projects with customers, not simply a legacy, but we were willing to dream bigger and we finally felt ready to go and understand the financial world that would allow us to get there.
2: Fantastic. I would love to dive even further into something you mentioned a little bit ago around this concept of, you know, we're seeing the personalities uh, behind the businesses and where a lot of us are falling in love with those personalities and thinking that that is entrepreneurship. But (sighs) even in my own business right now, There's so much important work to be done around sales, around consistent revenue, around forecasting, around, like you said, looking at the long-term financial health of our businesses what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are going through this reality check um, when the honeymoon phase is clearing yeah. and they're realizing that this business may be built on me and my, my personality, my products that I'm developing, which a, long, a lot of online businesses are now, um, but we need to look further to long-term financial viability of this company. What advice would you give practically f- to make it through that period of
1: time? Totally. So I think there's two things that I didn't know that I think everyone can benefit from too. I assumed, maybe others are in this boat with me, that to get the kind of professional advice that I needed, I had to have money to pay for those people. Um, And again, we can all in some way relate to the fact that we know we need help. We know there are likely people who do things in different areas of our business that are better and more qualified than us, but sometimes, often, I'd say, it's hard to to stomach the idea of what it's going to cost or we believe or really truly couldn't afford the thing we need. But I, I think that when it comes to financial health, just like your personal health, they have to become a priority at a certain point in your business cycle. So if you're at that juncture, depending again, there's so many kinds of businesses, right? If you're talking about a product and you're you're funded By third parties, by angels, that's a whole different conversation. You're probably already in a different boat there. You've probably been advised by professionals or other entrepreneurs. But if you're in a service based business or you're in a solo personal brand business, like you're mentioning, there are financial advisors who are both independent and who work within companies who can sit down with you at no fee. There are also some who will sit down with you for a small fee and kind of give you a health check and a perspective on different things to consider and different things to um, to adjust perhaps that don't have anything to sell you, but that can give you that third party advice for that fee. So there's different options, fee for service or finding a financial advisor who gets paid by the companies whose products they help you sell. So it's something important to just to look into whether you go into your, your bank or you go and you find and you Google an independent person. Um, this is an option that becomes, that is way more accessible than anyone thinks and is critical because whether you know let's take this example as an entrepreneur who's entirely the center pit center point of your business if you come if you fall ill if you have an accident if we are human as we are and things happen then who continues to run the business who can help keep things moving who can how can you even take care of yourself enough to heal to get back at it and to continue building that dream or that vision that you have for your business so if there's no reserve or if you're early in your business, that's really hard to do. If you don't have friends and family who can catch you if you fall, you know, and not everybody does, that wasn't that wasn't our case, then you have to figure out ways to protect yourself. And so um, I'm hesitant, of course, to give financial advice, but I would say look into things like key man insurance for your company. Look into things, and I should say key person, it should be relabeled for all companies, but it's still typically called key man, uh, as we know. And so there's also things like critical illness. So for any of the you know, the different types of cancer or for disability insurance, for things like slipping on a piece of ice in our country called Canada in the winter and falling and and physically having to heal. These are all things that can take care of you so you can take care of your business and not impact your revenue at the end of the day. So there's that piece of the puzzle, protecting yourself, setting yourself up with a strong foundation. And then there's also the other side of it, which is actually having somebody look at your books. And there's a ton of accountants um, who are very well qualified who focus on particularly new new initiatives new startups entrepreneurs you can actually Google them and find those specialists there are some out of places like the Center for social innovation who are mindful um, of that early stage of startup and and get their thoughts on the pricing of your products the the way that you are um, your intentions to scale or not but again, whether you do any of these things or not, the one thing you have to get crystal clear on is what you are trying to build. So at the stage where you've got cash flow, you've got customers, and you're moving, and it's not just an idea and a passion, but it's getting traction, that's the perfect time to really look at what you're doing and set in, set in place the things that you need to support the vision that you are building now.
2: That's one of the best piece of, pieces of advice that I got from a mentor was, uh, especially when it comes to you know, taking out loans or, or lines of credit just to have available yep. to yourself, the best time is when you are in the highs of your business because there yes. may come a day when the, you kind of bottom out or you need access to that, but you might not be approved. But when you're at the top, it's, it's a good time to continue to figure out other financial yeah. options for it's- yourself.
1: So critical. And you're, we're going to be on the top of the hill some days and we're going to be on the bottom. And it's so easy for us to always, of course, we're messaging and we're branding and we're sharing about the highs, right? It's really um, rarer that we even, even if we share about the lows, people forget them. We only seem to see people's best days in our minds and we're constantly comparing ourselves to those, whether we like, you know, whether we're trying to or not, it's there, right? That's what's out there. So um, take the momentum of that high mountaintop and get things in order because you will thank yourself If you fall, when you fall next, and it will let you get back up quicker and more sustainably. And at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're driving towards a longer term something. And you want to set yourself up to be able to do that. But it's really probably too early to do at the very beginning, which is the other side of this coin, which is that we try to get all the ducks in the row typically. And this, I think, is true from my experience qualitatively with women, other women in business, my own experiences and growth and things I've heard and seen from mentors is that we try to get everything hundred percent perfect before we move. That includes our financial picture or having business plans or having financial, um, you know, projections of forecasts in place. It's probably too early to know that you may need some of that data. If you're seeking funding again, if that's the kind of business you're running, but just know that everything has its time and its season. And that's the thing I really want. I would love to, part, uh, to impart is that when the season arrives, that's when the, that's when it's time to take that action. And you're, you're speaking to a season when you've got customers as a personal brand, where you can start to look at your finances and your financial health and your future um, desires in a much more realistic way and much less theoretical. Because you'll actually have the data to dive into. Yeah. It. <laughs> well, there you go. And that's the thing. I mean, you just can't know what you can't know until you've got something to work with. And that's the beautiful thing about being in business is that if you can ride the waves and you can find a way to turn around the stress of uncertainty or of that build into energy, you're going to allow yourself to go places you probably didn't even dream of. And they're going to be, in my case, often better than the ideas I had for where we want to go. Like I would never have predicted that the two businesses prior would ever pivot from digital and strategic over an eight-year period into financial services, but look where we are today. So that's the opportunity of, of, of riding those highs and, and actually looking at what happened versus what you thought was going to happen.
2: So something that I know can hold me back is my perception of the things I don't know. I feel like, and this may not be gendered at all. This could be a universal experience where, yeah. when we under when we're in business, and say, you know, my strength is marketing and digital media and strategies in terms of the digital space, but yep. where I need more support and help is on sales and developing consistent revenue uh, methodologies and all of that. So, yep. asking for help or, or reaching out to actually fill the gap in your knowledge, being willing to not be the smartest person. In in the room. How do you encourage our listeners to sit in that place of discomfort um, and not feel intimidated by reaching out and filling those knowledge gaps for the betterment of their business and their legacy?
1: That's beautiful. And I think that's been, I've had my own evolutionary journey with that one for sure. I didn't think I should have to ask for help early. That was the stubborn, silly, younger part of me. And I think It was also the benefit of having had a couple of wins in a row. I actually thought I could just figure it out all all by myself. And often you can. But the goal I learned over the longer term, or I guess it's medium term because I'm not that far along, but 10 years later, is that if I focus and I put my teeth into the want that I have, the dream, the vision, the goal that has me needing this help in the first place. I take away the energy from my concerns and my worries about what it's going to make me look like, what people will perceive, and I'll just go ask. And I will be humbled by not necessarily knowing how it's going to work out, but by just asking and seeing what someone has to offer. And so focusing on your vision, focusing on why, will I think more often than not pull you out of those, those you know, less helpful insecurities or less helpful mental patterns that have us stuck often, right? Where if you can pull yourself out and just get really pumped up about why it even matters to get help, what difference it could make and focus on what if they could help me? What if I could find an answer? What would that mean to this problem solved? Or what would that mean to my business as, at, a next, as a, at another level? Those are the kind of places to focus that will get you out of, out of stuck, and into motion in a way that you will meet people you would ever expected to meet and one person will introduce you to the next and you will find the help you need. I do think though that I've also learned um that sometimes you have the money to pay for the professional and that's amazing and often another times you might have to do creative things like barter. But to be mindful always that what whoever you're looking to for help that you don't get married on the first date that you court a few people that you if you're in a barter arrangement with someone or if you're paying for a service that there's, there's exit clauses that you're not going too far in too soon. You want to be able to make light commitments with folks, get the help, see if the help is the type of help that you actually need once you're, you're getting the advice or once you're getting that explicit help in your business and then keep inching along your commitment as you go. I think that would be really helpful. I had a few agreements, um, both with service providers along the way that I thought could help, um, or even in barter arrangements where, and I, 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 I think this is probably familiar to many people listening that, you know, you're kind of in the middle of some, an arrangement that you have, but you want to end it or it's not quite working the way you want. And now you're in a sticky situation. The message there is not to not to what I often did say, well, see, this is why I should just do it all by myself or the pattern of thought that has us go, oh, see, it never works out to just keep going and to keep taking that information and that experience as more fuel to get you toward the direction that you're going. And this is why, as long as you know where you want to go, you don't necessarily need to know every step on how to get there, but you can keep checking in to say, based on what's happening right now, is this moving me toward that vision or that goal? Or, and is it helping me along? And you'll know the answer to that question. So again, you build your trust. It's, It's sort of a chicken and egg. You build your trust and confidence in yourself and in your ability to accept help and ask for it as you try doing it in the first place. That's been my experience with, with this particular life, I think, conundrum, not even business conundrum, but just being human and wanting to, to, to live in community and get the support of the smart people around you. That's been how I've navigated it for the last, particularly the last decade.
2: I love that. And I also believe that the people... In our lives, or the people we reach out to, they genuinely want to see us succeed in most cases. And so, Mm -hmm. allowing them to help us do that, it makes it a community win, which I think is invaluable. Um, And so, my next question for you is actually in relation to your day job. So, a lot of the times in entrepreneurship, we hear about people quitting their jobs outright, diving head first. Yep. Um, But I also believe that there are seasons to our lives, as we've discussed throughout this conversation. Where Absolutely. perhaps uh, nine to five actually is is what's needed as we build our businesses. So, can you share with us what inspired you to head to ba- or head to Hootsuite, head, and, head in house? Yeah, yes, and now to be building your third business I- in your evening hours.
1: I, uh, it's almost this is almost the most therapeutic set of questions that I never expected to get, but it's a perfect <laughs> question because I think. Um, This is another lesson I learned in the last decade of this journey, which is that to say that I am one dimensional, to just exclaim that I'm an entrepreneur and this is who I am and I'm never working for anyone again, which, by the way, is something I screamed from rooftops for a good couple of years, um, is a limited way of seeing yourself and what it's going to take to get the bigger picture dream met. So for the best I knew at the time when I did do the leap of faith, I did quit my job. I did only have a little bit of savings. It did seem like a good time in my life and all of that's still true when I f- launched my very first business. I my responsibilities grew over time. My needs grew over time. And so I did only have one source of income which was my business and whatever clients or customers we generated for that 7 year stretch. Then I was pregnant, then our son was born. And then we also had to reckon with the fact that we were, we could feel in the core of us that it was time for another pivot in our business. And it was either going to take going so deep and transforming it to, to be sustainable and scalable in the way that would work for our life now with our son. And now as two of us, one of us probably not working as much, which hands up was going to be me um, for the first little bit of his his life, to just reckoning with the fact that even how, how his birth ended up um, going and how my health declined after his birth was something we didn't expect. So we didn't plan for it. And so that's when I, I was humbled and I found myself, it was about four months after he was born and about s- another four months before I, the Hootsuite opportunity even surfaced, where I was clear that I had to surrender to all of the very fixed, strong-headed ways that I expected things to go and just open my mind again to what the next step was going to be. And by this point, we were already, like I had mentioned a bit earlier, really, you know, we had wound down the contracts that we had in in Wedge 15 in our digital strategy company because we already knew that we were going to take a good six months together to just do one or two smaller projects while we were with our son together as a family. And so that quiet incubative time, which we hadn't frankly ever had because we just kept running for the seven years prior – opened our eyes to a lot of different ways of seeing things. And so as our passion grew for the financial services um, sector in general and seeing it from this new light of what it could what it could do and how many of the entrepreneurs that we've helped we could go back to with a different a, a different product and a, a different a different service to offer that could help them with their financial health and their long-term planning, the more that we saw a vision for ourselves of doing this ultimately. And it's so funny how your businesses form or how in, in any way in our cases, they keep coming up because typically we we start a business because we see a problem that we can solve. And so as we saw that, the next question was, okay, so how are we going to do this pivot? How are we going to go from one company to starting to slowly build the next? Who should do what? And at that very moment of opening Hootsuite, which is the Canadian technology company, it's valued at a billion dollars at this point. You probably have all heard of it if you're Canadian. And if you haven't, go, go poke at us online because it's a really it's a beautiful story of a startup turned enterprise company in this country. Um, they were opening a Toronto office. They're headquartered in Vancouver. There was no plan. I had been using Hootsuite just for our own personal businesses as a, as a solo user for about probably eight years by that point. The company just turned 10, and they were opening um, a Toronto office and looking for solutions consultants who had thought leadership in the space of social media and digital. And um, fast forward a couple of months and conversations and a couple of referrals, and uh, I landed myself something incredibly sweet that I'm so grateful for at a moment in time that made perfect sense. But it took me, it took me a good year to shift my identity again and to kind of reckon and reconcile inside myself. You said you have an op- you said you're an entrepreneur, you're working in a company, you have publications in HuffPost and other places where you're talking about the virtues of this self-sufficient life. How are you gonna How are you gonna calibrate with this? What is the message here? There's got to be something because I really wanted to be there, and it was and it still is two years later an incredible place where I've grown and now grown into leadership, and I'm having an incredible time contributing and also learning. But at the same time, it also allows my family and my husband the time and space to build this third company in a way that will be long term sustainable. And one day when I do rejoin him, whenever that day will come at a certain point in scale, um, when I say that, I mean full time, uh, you know, it's evenings and weekends that he and I hustle and rumble with this thing together. And so I'm now a side hustler, which is super interesting because it's all part of the journey. And I can see, you know, 10 years from now how what we're doing now how what we did before is going to be the platform upon which this third business will thrive and how perfect that we're on the thrive podcast because that's <laughs> the goal at the end of the day these businesses these ventures the impact we're having along the way the journey has been incredible but you don't know and i think we fool ourselves by thinking that we know exactly how it's going to go we have vision we have dreams, we have goals, but we have to be a little more flexible in my view. And that's been the most humbling lesson for me in this process about how we're going to get there and who's going to help us get there. So I think, you know, that's been an incredible experience and probably one of the richest life experiences and lessons I've had this transition into Hootsuite and the amazing things that have come that I would have prior just had my head totally turned from. And so, uh, yeah, humbling and grateful and an incredible time because I get to parlay a lot of what I've I've, I've gotten from entrepreneurship and bring that spirit to this company and ultimately help it grow and thrive until I go and continue doing the same for our own.
2: I love that because going from entrepreneur uh, to intrapreneur and side exactly. hustler, it's an it. incredible shift. I also wonder, uh, and I'm curious about the lessons you've learned being inside of a billion dollar company after being an entrepreneur and the lessons you've learned that you can now apply to this next business. Can you share some of those with the
1: audience? Totally. So one thing I want to share from my heart to everybody else's is that 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 imposter complex, that I've spoken in community groups with other entrepreneurs about that I've had myself. This idea that the big companies, the bigger companies are the ones that are, I don't know, we say these silly things like are somehow we think they're more legitimate or we want to aspire to be that big. They're going through the same exact pain as the small two person shop. They're just their scale of that pain (laughs) is just much bigger. It's this same scenario at one point, they were as small as, you know, us as two people. But the other cool thing, a couple of just nods of encouragement to the smaller companies or the smaller couple people teams, the amazing personal brand businesses like your own um, and others is that, you know, you have a level of flexibility, creativity and nimbleness that that these bigger places still seek. As you scale, as you grow, you know, there's you win some, you lose some and you gain things and you lose some things. And so I just love that. I no longer see it as black and white. I see it as gray that, you know, it was, I see. And I also, by the way, see so many amazing things that I struggled with when we were building Wedge 15 for those years, thinking we should be bigger or we should have certain things in order. And to see that other bigger companies are deal, are, are rumbling with the same things is really an incredible lesson. It it has me be more grateful. And, and hopefully you're, you're taking away as you listen um, from all the different coasts of Canada that Whatever you're building, just love what the problems you have right now and love the opportunities you have right now because those are yours right now. And there's nothing else worth trading it in for. That's the stuff that is on your plate for you to solve. And so Hootsuite has its own things to solve. It's, it's got incredible triumphs. It's been amazing to witness and to contribute to some of the new customers we brought in, some of the bigger financial institutions, getting them social, getting them, bringing their, you know, in, in my case, much more focused on the the financial advisors and wealth managers to go from a traditional industry that would typically never find itself on social to helping them onboard, getting them on, getting their thousands of agents, connecting with people and customers to educate them about finan- the financial space and help build relationships has been beautiful. Um, but it's also really, it's a really grateful moment because I think back to all of the things that my husband and I did, mostly in a silo with some subcontractors, in you know, in our home offices or in some of the co-working spaces. And there's a lot of equivalence to the kind of work that we as just four people or five people did and looking at this company of 1,000 worldwide now. And so it's been humbling in that way too. And it's something I hope you all take to heart because the grass is not always greener. And the point is that we all have our advantages and our our strengths that we need to leverage in this moment. So um, it's been awesome. And uh, if you also, this is another message I'd love to share, is if you have to go back, on, you know, in-house somewhere because that's what you need to do for the health of your own bigger picture for your business. Please, I wish I wish you not to have the shame that I had to work through just to do what's right for right now and to by the way have an opportunity to contribute to another company to learn some crazy lessons to bring your spirit to bring your lessons so that everybody can win because that's what I feel this is. This is an entirely awesome win-win scenario for Hootsuite and for me and for my family and for the business that my husband is building with the quality and the patience that it deserves. Right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to get to the end. And part of me, uh, you know, Hootsuite being a, an entrepreneurially spirited company, and of course having a really incredible culture of, of just trust and transparency, not without its problems, but just anchoring into that has allowed for all of the great things that I think this this company has been able to build and that I get to be a part of right now.
2: That's wonderful. And those lessons, I think, are so key. The grass is not always greener. Like the growth trajectory that you're aiming for doesn't mean that your problems will be solved once you get there. In fact, your problems may become more complex and require more hands on deck to be solved. But yep. loving the problems you have now, like that's a nugget that I I will keep with me from this conversation. Um, So now that you are uh, at Hootsuite, we want this um, podcast to offer resources, tangible resources to our audience. How would you suggest our audience can best leverage Hootsuite as they're looking at their digital strategies and Mm long-term growth? Um, How can they
1: look to using Hootsuite as a tool to amplify their business? Beautiful. I love it. Great question and also happy to to answer because... The cool thing is, this is Hootsuite started as a free solution and t- it's there's still a free product there today. So again, don't hear this and think you've got to make a crazy investment of thousands. But if you are scaling a business, there are product offerings that can help support you and scale with you. So things like social listening tools. You can do... In Hootsuite, as a social media management platform, you can listen and connect all of your different social media channels so that you can manage it in one place, not with a billion tabs and not with a completely unsustainable uh, workflow to your day, but in a really simple way that allows you to to be part of the conversation with your prospects, with your customers, um, but do it in a way that you can manage with a team. But the other thing is there's also, as we know, we're in an environment right now when it comes to particularly marketing your content online where a lot of the stuff we're posting organically that we are not putting any dollars behind is it's having a hard time reaching the people you want it to reach, and so there are things from um, brand listening solutions that we have partnerships with inside of Hootsuite you can use to listen to your marketplace to figure out what the sentiment of your key people are to track and um, identify influencers that you might be able to partner with. All of that's available through the solution, and also the ability to have some things like automatic boosting. So. If any of you've ever done paid Facebook ads, for example, or Instagram ads, you know that it's like a whole other degree that you might need to just manage advertising, so that your message, your content, your campaigns can reach the people you want to reach. Um, Hootsuite allows you to, through the ads, um, the ads integration that it has, to even set some parameters like, hey, if my organic post of hits a certain scale of likes or comments put a little bit of dollars from my ads account behind it. Boost That's it up. Fantastic! Ha- have it reach a couple more people so that, again, you can build in a quasi-assistant for yourself without having to pay somebody to do that. So um, there's a, a ton of that. And there's a Hootsuite Academy that can train you. Um, Some of those programs are also free. Some of them are a very small investment to just train you on how to leverage the social web to grow. And and there's even certification programs as well. So um, everything from training you on how to use the digital web to grow your business and to just interact with customers to helping you actually reach them through more complex ways like advertising or um, listening to the marketplace for your research for your customers. I think those are the three key things that um, you can start to explore after this podcast, if you're so inspired.
2: Thank you for that. And I am a Hootsuite user and have loved it, integrating it into our business and our uh, overall social integration. So, big fan of Hootsuite over here, Canada, Canadian company. So, something that we mentioned earlier that I would love uh, to hear about is your experience being a mother and an entrepreneur. And, you know, you and your husband thoughtfully down, like, took some time. Um, work with only a few clients during that six months period. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also shared that it, it was a very difficult pregnancy or sorry, birth uh, that you had had. Um, and you said this is something that is hotly contested in terms of mm-hmm. a topic. So yes. I would just love to know, like as a mother entrepreneur, also working nine to five, yep. what advice do you have to our listeners who are maybe thinking of starting a family or are new mothers, um, but also have that entrepreneurial drive still within them or the companies that they're continuing to lead.
1: Uh, What advice do you have for them to put their best foot forward? Awesome. Thank you for asking this question. And it is contentious because, of course, it's very political. And so I'm going to be very honest, as I typically am, and I'm sharing my truth. I'm sharing one woman's experience and one woman's honest perspective on this. You need to decide for you how you're going to approach this. But I want to add this context into the mix of things that you're going to be scrolling through Instagram watching or hearing in the news. My experience before I actually had my son, my perception, this is how different my personal plans versus reality turned out. I had intended to take maybe six to eight weeks off. I thought if women in the U.S. could do this, so can I. Uh, It's a privilege to have what we have in Canada. I also hadn't particularly topped up paying into EI as an entrepreneur so and again, things I learned when it came to just financial planning and health later, later on and, and in this new business. But the point was, I thought, I'll just jump back in. I planned as if I could control it entirely for a home birth with no medication. And I thought I'd be up and running and I'll just sleep train my son and it'll be all good. Like, this is what I see in all the books. This is what I see on Instagram. This is what it seems to be. Um, when, it, when I look at, you know, sister brother countries like the United States, Not that it was ever wise to particularly model the one country where in the world where we have the least amount of support for women coming out of birth and all of the above. But I guess I had ambitions, I should say, and delusions guided by a lot of things that I think many can relate to. So let's go to what actually happened. Three days of labor into cesarean, um, a child who is getting his tonsils out this May, he's three years old now, and who has had breathing concerns, so has not has sleep apnea and has not slept through nights uh, at all. Sleep training didn't work. We didn't even understand this for a while. And so I was waking up uh, five times a night at minimum for the first almost two years of his life trying to function uh, on that. And, you know, six months or four months into his life uh, on earth side uh, and, you know, writing a proposal with with the foggiest brain I could ever remember having for a new piece of business and trying to manage feeding him, that was pretty much as clear as as it ever was to me that my idea of how this was going to go, where he would, might just be with us and we'll be building our business with him simultaneously without full child care care full time, was um, adorably delusional. But, but you want to know what I grappled with? I grappled with what is this going to look like to everybody else? I'm supposed to be ambitious. I'm supposed to be a leader. I self define as an entrepreneur. I self define as um, unapologetic about it. What, you know, what can I do about this? And you know, it's taken two and a half years to, to to put this whole phase at rest and to really find a way where I am back to unapologetic about how I'm other, unapologetic about how I work, unapologetic about who I am. But it was humbling for me to go through that because I realized that just because you say you want everything doesn't mean you can get it all yourself. And the most critical lesson to take away from from my experience in my opinion, is that, yeah, you might be able to have it all, but not all by yourself Mm. and probably not not all at the same time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I unfollowed a ton of stuff on Instagram because when I came down to it, all I was doing was scrutinizing myself for not living up to some insane standard that, by the way, just added a whole new job description to my world. I already had five, you know, know, co-founder and creative uh, communicator, strategist, accountant, wife, mother, all of the above. And I wanted to add more pressure to myself. And I thought, no, my, my health suffered. Um, I had all kinds of pains I never had before. And my mental health definitely took a hit. So thankfully I woke up early enough with the nudging of a ton of care providers around me from midwives to the the amazing chiropractor, um, Sarah Mickler, who said, you know, and she also of course owns her own business. And so she related really, really strongly that if you don't work, nothing will work. Mm. So And she didn't mean literally work at my work. She meant if I just wasn't functioning. And so I think this is relevant whether you're a mom, whether it's because you hit a health crisis, whether because or whether you had a tragedy outside or a trauma that happened to you and you're just stuck. To get unstuck, you've got to surrender something. We have got to put down these insane ideas that we're somehow going to be a superhero. We're inspired by Wonder Woman, yes. We love the notion of, and we live like superheroes every day, but it doesn't mean you're superhuman. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, net, net, my takeaway now, uh, with little guy, three years old, with having come over the the harder hump there with, with doing this all while starting at Hootsuite transitioning companies, not having my husband that I saw 24 seven for, you know, seven years prior, not really seeing him until Sundays had me just wake up to the fact that a, you need way more hands in this than you think you do. And maybe you don't have the accessible grandmother or grandfather or that village that we know we need around us all the time, but you got to create it now. And so I started creating that village in the most hilarious ways going up on Facebook and asking people, Hey, I got a proposal to write who wants to come over and baby carry my child down the street to the park for brush for fresh air while I finish this thing. And, uh, who wants to come by? I'll make, we'll make dinner. Um, we'll have some wine and I need you to play with him while I sort out our bookkeeping or whatever that was. And so there was so much of this creative, um, just community uh, advocating that I did to start to create the village in our dispersed city and modern life that didn't exist because I was no longer interested in trying to appear like I could do it all myself. I actually can't. And you know what? I don't think anyone can. I just think we don't tell the full truth about what it takes to do all these different things. Because how will I scale my business and serve my customers if I can't serve my health, if I can't serve my own child, and if, if I don't have the right structure set up to do that? So, what I made peace with was it's going to take longer than I thought it was going to take. All of these beautiful dreams that I have. But just like you actually said, Komal, uh, in your Dream Girl documentary, some version really struck me of this line that you had at the early stage, which is, I'm building, you know, a really impactful, like I'm an exceptional business. It's just going to take time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you said some version of that and it just struck me right. It gave me a shiver, even though I can't remember the exact quote, but I, I think you'll probably recall which, which piece and hopefully listeners will watch it if they haven't already. And, and see that because that's the way to think about it. It will just take time. And when when did we get the idea that it all had to happen now? Yeah. So yes, I have a business that we're growing and it's growing slower than my prior self would have imagined. But you know what? It's awesome because simultaneously, I'm able to be present with my son in a way that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. And during critical time, a critical time that matters to us. And you know what else? I get to be at Hootsuite. And mm-hmm. all of this is just a beautiful mixture of things that as soon as I let go of unsustainable, unmeetable expectations and recalibrated to what truly matters and what I want most of all right now, things started to fall into place. And I started seeing opportunities to get help in creative ways. I mean, he goes to daycare full time and, you know, that's a whole other story that you work <laughs> to put your child in daycare for like 1500 to $2,000 a month. But, you know, this is what it takes. And as long as you want what you have or you choose the problems you have, you're going to find solutions and you're going to find a way to work it into your life. So I think, you know, mixing it all together, mom, boss, entrepreneur, in-house, senior manager, wifey, friend, community, thrive community member, it's all doable, but it's not all doable now and not all alone with you. You've got to find ways to involve other people creatively or otherwise so that you can get those dreams accomplished. And if you need any other validation of this, then please go get Rachel Hollis's book, Girl, Stop Apologizing, or get Girl, Wash Your Face, for whatever you think of it, there's incredible lessons from this woman who's built a multi-million dollar media mogul business over 15 years, and similarly juggled all these different things. She's been incredibly, an incredible anchor point for me right now as a unofficial mentor virtually, um, and someone I think that and anyone listening to this can benefit from from following as well.
2: Agreed. I feel like it's refreshing to see women like Rachel Hollis, Mel Robbins coming into the business and personal development space because it's much more um, relatable uh, as I look to motherhood ahead and and potentially growing our family. It's really refreshing as well to have you share so honestly with such candor your experience. And I think, you know, pulling it back to earlier in our conversation when we were talking about if you're scared of sales and you need the courage to get there what do you got to do you got to ask for help same goes with yes. reconstructing your life after a major life change and transition and in fact that quote from Dream Girl was exactly what you said we're making our impactful, powerful businesses, but this is just going to take time. Um, yes. So on that note, I have one final question for you. Sure. What is your final piece of advice for our audience so that they can thrive in their lives and their businesses?
1: I would just say, you know, you, you saw the through line. I think there's two key things I'd love for, for you to chew on. One is whatever you're dealing with, find a reframe of that issue and reframe it in a way that gives you power instead of keeping you stuck. So you just heard an example of me reframing the way I was thinking about motherhood, reframing entrepreneurship to entrepreneurship, reframing things. That's constantly a theme that I think all of us can benefit from because the point is to not get stuck and stopped, but to keep moving forward. And so reframe, become masterful at reframing. And similarly, I think the other piece that That makes a huge difference that I'm absolutely biased about. And I'm proud of it is that if you master your money game and you just, it's not a, it's not a one-stop destination, but it's something to keep, keep challenging yourself about. Do not turn your, do not turn your eye to it because you don't understand it. Demand and seek that you get it. Because if you've got a solid financial and money game foundation, whatever dreams you have, whatever business you're building, whatever is to come, you'll set it up in a way that will be sustainable. And scalable if that's what you want. So find yourself, you know, find yourself with the right protection, find yourself, go into your local branch, go into an insurance advisor, reach out to me on Twitter, whatever works for you, and just start asking questions. You may not do anything for a few years, but you'll start the process of that financial health and that financial literacy that will make a huge difference when the right time comes in your business.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Gloria, for being with us here today uh, and for being an example for all of us to look to, to be reminded both of our humanity, but also our capacity and ability to reframe, um, pivot and keep going forward. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit Corespace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness, and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive.